Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Innovation Tech Talks. You're chopping it up with Chuck, and we are here today with a very special guest coming to us from all the way around the globe. Uh, we have with us today Epi Ludwig, who is the founder and CEO of Crowdsourcing Week. How are you doing, Epi? Doing great. Thanks for having me, Charles. Thank you for joining us. You got up very early to, uh, to join us, didn't you? Yeah, it's um, 6 a.m. here in Singapore, but it's worth it. It's Well, it's awesome. It's awesome to have you here. Thank you. So uh, tell us a little bit. What's, what's, first of all, how are you? How's everything going? You know, these are crazy times right now. How's everything going for you? Well, you know, it's the, uh, you know in these crazy times, you just got to keep, keep up with the positivity and eliminate the negativity. So we have this policy in our team and our family too that you know no negativity allowed. So any negative news, we just throw it out. You seem like a pretty positive guy. I bet. That, does that come natural for you? Well, you know, it's like uh, life is life is about bringing the positivity and live that experience in a positive way, right? So yeah. this it's a short experience, and in this earth we have this mission that we just have to enjoy life. Yeah, yeah. Even even during a pandemic. Yeah, I mean, so so thing you, you you have a choice, you know, and and um, and the choice that uh, either you want to uh, focus on things that are gonna make you sick, or things that are gonna make you good. And so I, you know, we decided that we need to make sure that we gotta focus on the good things. Uh, and there's a lot of good news out there. There's a lot of good things that are happening today out there. And as long as you keep your mind focused on positivity, things good things will follow you. Yeah, I, I think somebody once said, uh, you know, focus equals feeling. Whatever you focus on, you're going to feel. Because your brain, you know, if you start focusing on it and thinking about it, your brain will start experiencing it and your body will start experiencing it, you know, whether you were there or not. So it's it's sometimes important to make sure that, uh, you know, you watch, you watch what you're focusing on because you can focus on the negative and then start to actually experience it in your body, you know, without it even uh, really, really happening to you. Yeah, it's kind of like asking this question to people, what are you feeding your subconsciousness with? Yeah. Right? So if you feed your subconsciousness with your with negative stuff, then don't expect your actions to be positive. Right. That's pretty incongruent. <laughs> what? Uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Before we dive into it here, just want to know about you. You've got a really interesting background. So tell our audience a little bit about it. Maybe I'll, I'll start halfway because not many people know my story. Um, but um, I was born in Kosovo. It's a little tiny country. In the, it was back then, it used to call for, uh, former Yugoslavia. Um, and so as a young boy, um, I used to play cello, the classical music. And from there, uh, I... Uh, Things start to get worse. My dad passed when I was 10 years old. So my mom and with uh, four of our siblings. And so it was a very tough time. So I understand what's to be in a very tough, tough environment. And I experienced that myself. Uh, long story short, um, when at the age of 16 plus, I uh, had an uncle in New York. So uh, and then I went to New York uh, and stayed with him. And from there, that was my beginning of journey in, in being in the U.S. And, and, you know, when you're in New York, uh, you have to drop all the things. You, got, you have to do what you got to do, right? So I, I started working all kinds of work from pizza delivery to a doorman to construction uh, just to make sure that I'm feeding, I'm, I'm sending 
I'm saving money to my to, to my mom. That that was my goal. Right. Uh, from there on, I went to university, uh, studied advertising in Fashion Institute of Technology. And after I graduated, I decided that, well, it's my time to uh, pretty much uh, uh, go and do and follow my passion. So I opened my own bar. So I had a bar in the Lower East Side for two years. After two years, I said, no, this is not going to work for me. So I sold it, <laughs> lost money, as usual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very few people make money with bar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even though the alcohol is quite expensive, you know, you can charge a lot of money for it, but you know, it's a, it's a completely different sort, but it wasn't for me. It yeah. wasn't. And, and from there on, I, I went back to my uh, advertising world and in late 2008, I started my own advertising agency in New York, a boutique ad agency, uh, kept it for four years. And that was the beginning of this uh, crowdsourcing week journey. Um, when we did an event, when we say we, it's uh, my agency and the partner agency. Uh, we did an event doing Internet Week in New York was how crowdsourcing changing advertising business models. And from there, it was uh, this beginning. It was like, wow, you know, crowdsourcing is bigger than advertising marketing. What am I doing with this? Ad hmm. why, don't, why don't I just start Crowdsource Week? So that was the birth of a Crowdsource Week. Uh, fast forward a year and a half later, I decided to, to pretty much start this global journey. And of course, you know, I had a choice to do it in New York or San Francisco or U.S. because U.S. was pretty much like leading in this conversation. Um, but then um, I looked at the conversations in Asia and Asia represented such a big crowds. I said, well, I, I, I got to be in Asia. And so mm -hmm. I packed my bags, um, came here to Singapore without knowing anybody, start from scratch. And then from here, we just kind of went all over the world. So we've done over 30 plus conferences in, in, in 25 countries in four continents. Uh, and our focus has been from day one to bring the conversation of crowdsourcing online and offline. That is fascinating. So you've always been kind of a, would it be safe to say you've always been a pretty entrepreneurial kind of guy? Well, the uh, entrepreneurship, it's about taking a risk. And mm -hmm. of course, when you learn being a true entrepreneur, you start to take calculator risks than just any risks. Uh, but you learn that from, from those mistakes, right? Um, yeah. But, you know, in the end of the day, like, what are you... Uh, so the, the true definition of this entrepreneurship is, like, you are entering for the price. So my question always I ask to the entrepreneurs, why are you, why are you entering for this price? Ah. And so if you, if, you, if you don't know the true price because the true price should not just be the the the, the, the money itself right it's got to be bigger it's got to be that mission that you're aiming for if you not if you don't know that true price then you're going to probably struggle i would say yeah i think that there has been a almost a glorification of entrepreneurship, uh, maybe, maybe even recently, especially, you know, with social media and Instagram and, you know, look, you own your own business, then you get a yacht and then you get this and then you get that. And I think that sometimes, uh, and it's starting to come out now, you know, with people like uh, Gary Vaynerchuk and, you know, such that they're like, listen, entrepreneurship is, it can be really, really good. It also can be a lot of work and you kind of got to know, you know, what you're getting into. It's not all yachts and champagne and, uh, you know, ribbon cuttings and, you know, things like that. There's really a lot of work, uh, a lot of uncertainty, you know, probably, probably stress is something that entrepreneurs, you know, have a lot because, uh, you know, if something goes wrong and, and you're the boss, it's, it's all on you, you know, it's, it's totally up to you. You know, it's like, you have to be willing 
to go through pain for a long period of time. Uh, that's pretty much like what true entrepreneur goes to it. And so it's not like a, a two year thing or a four years thing or five years thing. It's a pretty much, you need to make sure that you are, and you are a firefighter. You're every single day, you're, 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 you are, you're, you're in crisis every single day. <laughs> I, I feel that you're not doing the right thing. Let's put it this yeah. way. Yeah, right. That's funny. They say it's not a job; it's a lifestyle. You know, that's that's really what being an entrepreneur is. Sometimes, sometimes crazy hours and you know a lot of travel and stuff. Um, so, okay, so so we want to talk about crowdsourcing. Crowdsourcing yeah. to me is fascinating. Um, it's super innovative. Uh, it just is, is, it's almost endless with the potential, but for our audience that um, isn't familiar, what are the basics of crowdsourcing? Yeah, great example. Well, you know, a lot of time that I've been talking about crowdsourcing, by default, people always come back to me with the crowdfunding. Uh -huh. And the reason for that is because crowdfunding is much easier to be understood. Uh, because you're pretty much you're asking crowds to fund your project or idea, whatever it may be, right? Uh, but then when it comes to crowdsourcing, it becomes a bit more hard to grasp. And the reason why is because it's just you can do it in so many ways. Uh, and, and, and one way to think about it is it is a collective consciousness. Uh, mm -hmm. And the reason why it's a collective consciousness is because now you have individuals or groups of people who are coming together for a particular project, a particular thing that they believe on, and they want to bring forward their meaningful results with their actions and, and, and their activities. So the reason why they're part of that project sometimes is not just about money. It's about because they believe so strong in that particular project that they're willing to give their time and energy and even money. And mm -hmm. one great example that I always bring is the... Uh, which is uh, Wikipedia, for example. We all know Wikipedia. We all been to pages of Wikipedia. Primarily Wikipedia, it is managed by uh, crowds of, of editors who are editing these pages from all over the world with their, with their skills and talents and, and education background that they have. And also on top of it, they're also the core uh, team of people who are coming from all the world who are also funding it in the same time they're, they're, they are they are paying for to keep that that wikipedia alive so you may ask probably a question why would they do that well because they believe of what the core mission of wikipedia is uh-huh and so that enough people can buy into it that they will make exactly. it happen exactly yeah. so, so once you define that mission in, when you're doing a crowdsourcing project, and once you define that mission for that particular project, uh, then you have something really interesting that you can apply crowdsourcing. So, you know, we have all kinds of uh, uh, resources. You know, we have beyond our tangible resources, we have uh, uh, non-tangibles, and those are probably more valuable, you know, than anything. We have, uh, I don't know what I, I was reading the other day, we have an average person gets around 75 thoughts a day. Now, in those thoughts, you probably have so many ideas coming to you, but all those ideas, they just come and go. They're just, just, just stay in your head, but that's it. Now, think about platforms that you can connect those ideas uh, with other thousands of people. That's, 
That's incredible. Ah, yeah. So when you have that great idea at that moment of inspiration, when that light bulb goes off over your head, if you don't do something with that idea, then it just, it's just like gone and it doesn't bring any, any good to anybody. I mean, you might, you might the next day say, man, I had a great idea last night, but you know, uh, it's not the same as actually putting it towards a belief or a cause or a mission. Yeah. And so if we, we all have, we all, we all have the, um, uh, the willingness to bring that idea somewhere. We just don't know how. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes for a lot of people, when they think about those things, they think about mechanics first. Uh -huh. So not everyone is born to be a true innovator, true, true entrepreneur, but I believe uh, the, every human being is an innovator. So we all have innovative ideas and the opportunity here is that we can channel these ideas with the right platforms, uh, which we can talk uh, later. About yeah, no, no, I, I love it. So, uh, you know, I started thinking, okay, so what are some, some real life examples of, uh, you know, of crowdsourcing? And I started thinking of a movement. Uh, I thought maybe Congress. And then I was like, yeah, that's, that's probably not a very good example. They don't get much done. Uh, but science is the scientific process you know, we've got one mission that we're trying to do it. Everybody's working together, you know, to solve it. Um, and they share, you know, a lot of times they share, uh, they share data, they share results, you know, it's, is the scientific process crowdsourcing? Well, absolutely. I mean, it, it, what, what we have today is we have a, a massive opportunity to bring a, um, a, a, the scientists mm -hmm. to work together uh, with people in the field uh, to solve the problems. And I think that is not happening. And, and partially that what that's not happening is because we're, we, you know, we, we see it very clearly. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of censorship happening out there. And there are all kinds of different forces that are, they do not want to see that happen. But I believe very strongly that, you know, if you look at, for example, uh, just for a moment, there's, a, there's this, there's this magic of a uh, hundred thousand people coming and working together. And I'll give you three great examples. So with the uh, 100,000 people, we coming together and working together, we were able to send men on the moon. Mm -hmm. All right. With the 100,000 people coming together and working together, we were able to get a uh, Panama canal. Yeah. And, and, and uh, pyramids, and also, the, uh, you have the uh, ancient um, uh, in the, in the uh, uh, Great Wall of China, too. Yeah. So, Great now, wonders of the world. Exactly. These are, these are, these are just incredible. Uh, you know, but think about this now. Now, we have all the, tools, mm -hmm. all the tools. We have all the tools. And we're not bringing 100,000 people working together for the, for the common good. So there is something that's happening here that, you know, it's hard to pinpoint, but all I'm saying is the, uh, we have all the tools. We just need that collective consciousness. We need to promote that collective consciousness. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So people are, are aware of it that, oh my God, wait a minute. I'm now in front of a computer and I can be channeled in these, in these, in these environments that I can, I can bring my contribution. Yeah. Instead of just me being on Facebook and whatever. And, you know, 
there's nothing wrong with Facebook, but if you spend most of the time in Facebook, there's a lot wrong with Facebook, Epi. <laughs> there are, yeah, there are. Yeah, yeah. Not, not to the extent like what everybody says. Sure. Uh, but yeah, there, 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 I think we can do a lot better. I would say. I think I think what I think what you're touching on is is uh, is so powerful because you said you said something about consciousness, um, and and right now you know we're we're in an uh, increasingly um, I don't know divided you know world right now where you know we can't agree on facts we can't agree on you know science we can't agree on a lot of basic things you know just real fundamental building blocks and uh, I remember uh, talking to Bill Nye the science guy and he talked about uh, his parents were part of the greatest generation right so they you know they were the ones that uh, you know really they sacrificed a lot they came together you know they uh, they they fought you know to defend you know freedom and liberty and the world and the odds were against them and they did it and it was this great accomplishment because like you said everybody came together you know nations came together and people came together and you know republicans and democrats came together um and he feels that just as one example the pro the thing about climate change if everybody came together and we faced this just like we faced the Nazis, you know, or just like we faced some horrible threat, we could probably accomplish some great things if we had that collective consciousness that, hey, this is the next big thing for us to come together and work on. Um, we're just not there yet. You know, collectively, we don't look at it that same way. But I agree. It seems like when we come together, you know, if we were fighting aliens that were coming to invade us or something, we would all come together and all of our collective talents would crowdsource, you know, the best uh, solutions there. Um, I think it's the whole coming together part that uh, sometimes we can't get out of our own way. I was going to add something um, that Chuck was saying that's very interesting to me, perhaps an obstacle to crowdsourcing, because like when I think of crowdsourcing and obviously using a collective to come up with a potential idea to, to either implement a project or a boutique ad agency. My curiosity, though, is how do you get that many people working together cohesively, like in the scientific community, a great deal of problems is that there's so many differentiating opinions on climate change, a lot of scientific competition. So um, I'm wondering how to, how do you, how do you battle through that? Like in particular, like a, even in product base, so you you're creating a crowdsource project to create an, a boutique ad agency. If you also use crowdsourcing, in, in terms of the products that you that you promote and those kind of things. I'm wondering how that plays out with so much competition out there. Yeah, well, so, you know, um, there's a gentleman, Louis Von On, he runs his, um, his platform called Duolingo. I'm not sure if you guys have come across Duolingo, but it's a, pretty much it's a crowdsourced uh, application, a platform for learning a language, pretty much. Um, uh, back about uh, 10 years ago, um, he created this, uh, uh, this uh, particular um, tool. Uh, and this tool uh, uh, ended up in Google's hands. They bought it from him. But basically, you've probably seen that before. It's called ReCAPTCHA. Mm -hmm. Basically, in a ReCAPTCHA, what it does, like it asks you to fill out either like a little word there or now to do it with the images. But basically now what Google is doing, and that is a completely crowdsourced model, what it does, like every time you're going and doing the recapture with the word, you are helping Google digitizing books online. 
So now you're thinking about billions of people going it and giving that little two seconds or three seconds, and you bring that collectively. You and I, we have no clue that we're, we're crowdsourcing it, but Google had it very clear how they can implement crowdsourcing in their <laughs> environment. So they don't have to hire hundreds of or thousands yeah. of people just to do that because humans are not born to do a boring, to do a boring stuff. We're born to do creative stuff. You know, that's why I'm so, that's why I'm so happy that we have robots coming in because we can give those jobs to robots. You know? <laughs> so we don't have to do the job of a robot. You know, we can be a true humans. But the problem exists that we try to make humans a robots, and that's a big problem that we have also. Wow. So even Amazon, like their ratings on products, those are that's crowdsourced, right? Uh, everybody goes and puts their rating in, you know, what they like, they didn't like, and then it comes up with a with like a crowdsourced rating or you know, restaurants and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, there there are so many ways of using it, uh, but this kind of example it shows that even into that level of a micro task, you're able to. Uh, uh, to bring people without people even knowing that they're a part of that, but you're just implemented as a part of your part of your uh, uh, way to get access to a specific thing. In this case, is for Google getting access to whatever the information people are looking for. So, uh, I, and, and this kind of example shows that you know we have all the technology. You know, uh, imagine like imagine if we can probably have billions of people today. All right, think about this for a moment. We can have billions of people do that, just give that little micro test for a scientific, for a scientific discovery. And this billion people can come from people that we probably not heard much from them. You know, I'm sure we will probably have a much bigger ideas than what we have. Albert Einstein, he, he said this, he said this, he said, we cannot solve the problems with the people who created it in the first place. All right, and this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to get the scientists, whatever, they're solving, solving the problem, or we're trying to get these people who are solving the problem, who pretty much they, they created those kind of models, and we're expecting breakthroughs. I love how, it. How are we gonna get there? And so that's the question. So unless we really enlighten, so it's about enlightening uh, people, awaken people with collective consciousness, bring them forward and, and connect them and, and channel them with the right tools is this is what the future of uh, humanity looks like but if we want to have a systematic artificial intelligence that has probably nothing nothing human then we are going the wrong way and i think and i think this is the tension that we're seeing we're seeing a tension that one side wants to go that way another side wants to go this way and I think that's what it's all about. So I'm not talking about politics, but I'm just talking about the environment that we live in today. People yeah. are still not so awakening to think like, wait a minute, you know, God has given me 24 hours, the same thing that given 24 hours to the king or the queen or to the president, you know? Yeah. God is so fair. So if God is so fair, am I fair to my time myself, how I'm spending my time? Wow. That's that's a great uh, that's a great question, and uh, I always think that you should go to break off 
the heels of an Albert Einstein quote. That just that should just always be a nice segue. So I'll tell you what, uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break right now. We'll be back in just a minute. Uh, you're chopping it up with Chuck and Joe, and we are here with Epi Ludwig, the CEO and founder of Crowdsourcing Week. And we're also going to talk about when we get back as a culture you get what you celebrate. A, a great man once once taught me that, and I truly believe it. So we're going to talk about actually celebrating the bold and and talk about the uh, the Be Bold Awards as soon as we get back right after these messages. Today's episode of Innovation and Tech Talks is brought to you by Generac, the number one name in home backup generators. Generac manufactures a range of power products, including portable, residential, commercial, and industrial generators. Generac is also committed to bringing forth a long-term vision that creates environmentally responsible products, processes, and partnerships. Visit Generac.com to learn more and see their incredible line of products. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Innovation Tech Talks. You are chopping it up with Chuck and Joe. We are the editors at Innovation and Tech Today, your favorite award-winning publication. And we're here today talking crowdsourcing with Epi Ludwig, the founder and CEO of Crowdsourcing Week. And uh, I learned more about crowdsourcing the last 15 minutes than I knew in my whole life. It's, uh, it's, it's such an interesting topic because it, um, it's, it's kind of simple, but it's also kind of complicated. Why, why do you think more people aren't familiar with the term crowdsourcing? Well, here's like, so when I started crowdsourcing week uh, seven years ago, um, there's some, uh, there, was a, there was a negative connotation to it. And the reason why yeah. people were linking crowdsourcing with outsourcing, and as you know, outsourcing was more about finding that cheap labor and that's about it. Uh, and so I, 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 I looked at the true, uh, uh, potential of what this can do for, for, for the world. And when I, re when I saw that true potential, when I, when I was convinced, when I, I had that conviction that I said, my God, this could be a solution to all the problems that we have, uh, I said, no, it cannot be in relation to the outsourcing. So I was pretty much like, I took that, that, that narrative yeah. from, People think about, oh, it's outsourcing and negatives to bring like a, oh my God, it's crowdsourcing and it's positive. It's about humanity. And that's what, that's what we're in. So now I think we're in the right direction. We have a lot of education to do, of course. Uh, but our mission has been focused pretty much. We want to make sure that we are unlocking this, uh, this human potential um, and bring forward this collective consciousness that I was just talking about through crowdsourcing in every industry and sector. So we're pretty much, we're powering breakthroughs together, uh, working with uh, crowdsourcing platforms uh, in each sector and making them uh, focused in terms of the, uh, the expansion and bringing on those uh, type of the uh, uh, tools to people, to them. Powering breakthroughs together. That's, that's great. That's yeah. awesome. So, so that's the only way that we will be able to do it. And so uh, our partners are, are, are pretty, pretty much the, uh, the focus. And with them together, we are uh, helping breakthroughs happening. So, uh, so tell us about the, um, uh, the, the awards, the bold awards. Tell us about being bold, because I think this is, um, uh, where, where did this come about and, uh, and how is it related to, you know, crowdsourcing week? Yeah, well, so bold, uh, program 
it's um, it started about uh, two and a half years ago. Um, I always had people coming to me say, why don't you have uh, an awards program for crowdsourcing week? And for me, uh, awards was a very, uh, uh, I didn't want it to do it halfway. Uh, and actually not just awards, but anything, I just don't want to do it halfway. I rather just focus and do it all the way. And, and it was the right timing doing this with the right partners. So, uh, uh, us at Crowdsourcing Week and uh, an organization called H Farm, which stands for Human Farm. They're based outside of um, Venice, uh, Italy. Uh, they're one of the most unique and probably one of the largest uh, innovation campus in Europe, uh, which uh, they have a focus on the uh, education, digital transformation, but also in a, a focus on the innovation for enterprises. So we came together, we created this program, it's called Bold Awards which uh, it has a, a category in crowdsourcing, but we've gone beyond crowdsourcing. Now we have over 20 categories that range from the agritech to AI and robotics and so on. And the whole idea is that an, it's an annual program that runs for a good eight months uh, online. Uh, primarily it's driven by submissions uh, and we have three rounds of submissions. And after that, we do have a, uh, we open that up for public voting. Once that public voting happens, then we have the uh, uh, judges coming in and they do the uh, selection of the nominees. And at the end, we have this beautiful uh, gala dinner, very elegant black tie for 250 people at H Farm, where you have uh, people from 40 plus countries, all these nominees and judges and partners and people who apply to attend, which is very selective. And they all come together on one roof and it's uh, full of... Uh, learning entertainment and networking yeah and i'm taking a look at it here too like the the categories that you have are like uh and this is worldwide right so this is yeah, yeah. this is this is totally global um unfortunately for a second uh, edition that we did we had to postpone it given the fact that it was the pandemic in italy in the same time in march so mm. our for the goal to we're just doing it together with a bold three, uh, and that will be for next uh, next year in March uh, 2021. I can't believe we're going to be in 2021. It's going <laughs> by so fast. Oh man, it's been such a fun year. Oh, look at these categories, Joe. We've got uh, boldest AI, boldest remote working company, uh, boldest advertising. I love advertising when it's done right. Uh, this is really, really cool. So you have all these different categories and uh, you had a gala, like a, everybody all dressed up, you know, really nice, like a, like a, like a red carpet type affair. And then the yeah. pandemic comes. Yes, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> we, we, we wanted to make sure that the, the, the standards are very high. So mm -hmm. we have a very strict, um, uh, the model when it comes to like when people come, uh, they're got to make sure they're got to be dressed um, in a black tie. It's pretty much like we we want to we want to be one of those uh, Oscars for the digital for yeah. the digital age for digital um, industries. So our third edition, um, what we're doing, we adding other categories. So now we have twenty plus categories for the third edition. We'll be announcing that in, in uh, sometimes in September, uh, and that that this program is so amazing because 
we thought, for example, crowdsourcing week, we thought that we pretty much know almost everybody in crowdsourcing. And just because of that category that we put on bold, we're able to discover amazing crowdsourcing platforms. They are out there in the world. Uh, and uh, yeah, so it was a, it's a great discovery tool. So we're discovering amazing entrepreneurs, amazing people who are working for corporations. And, uh, and this is what it's about, is really uh, taking things to another level uh, where if you look at most of the awards that you see today, mm-hmm. they're very uh, industry focused. And a lot of times like uh, those criteria in those industries, it does not allow the other people to come in and, 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 and even apply for it, right? And here it allows everybody to apply as long as you fit, uh, as long as you think that you will be nominated based on that criteria uh, for, um, for being selected. Wow. Wow. And, and how would someone be nominated? Well, you know, you can, you can definitely just go and submit your, uh, your program. So Mm -hmm. basically people submit, they can submit their, their project or their company. uh, And anyone can do that. But then uh, when it comes to the, uh, when it comes to the selection of the uh, selection of the nominees um, is pretty much like uh, uh, the public voting first. So the public public decides who would be those nominees, those five nominees for each category. Uh, and once the public decides, so that's half of the vote, and then you have the judges coming in, they, they weigh their own half vote for those nominees, and they, they select five, five nominees out of all submissions from each category. So what, uh, let me ask you, I mean, what do you think about events? Because you, you know, obviously this is a major event. Um, this is, this is tremendous. I mean, the Oscars for the digital age, I love it. Uh, and I really truly believe as a culture, you get what you celebrate. So we should celebrate innovation and we should celebrate, you know, science just as much as we celebrate the, uh, you know, athletes and just as much as we celebrate the movies. Um, but what do you think about events now? I mean, they've been, absolutely devastated maybe one of the industries hit hardest you know uh because of covid what 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 do you think that that means for events now and then moving forward i think for events for physical events um they will be around um but you're gonna have only only a a top um in terms of the experiences people are looking for experiences if you looked at the last few years in the uh event industry, the ones who were doing very well with events, they were focused all a lot on experiences, but then to put all those experiences that take, take so much time and effort. And so not any, any company is, uh, is focused or can do that because it takes, again, it takes a tremendous amount of time, money and energy. Um, but I believe, I believe that, you know, in our case, for example, we stopped all the physical events. The only physical event that we have, it's pretty much this, as this uh, gala dinner. Everything's for us virtual, and we have no intention to go back on a physical context to do event. Because for us, like, you know, when, you, when we look at it, like there are, today you have tools, but I think the future of the, the tools that are coming for events are gonna be much better, and that, that will pretty much solve 90, 90% of the problem, right, for people. So with the, uh, advancement on a VR, for example, right? Uh, right now it's still an early stage, but once you have uh, Apples and Facebooks of the world, 
move in that direction with the right gadgets, uh, I think we're going to see a much different experiences. And it literally, when you think about all that wastage, think about for how many people have to fly and time and, you know, all that stuff that goes into it just to be there, uh, it's just too much. Uh, on the other hand, I also strongly believe that the uh, uh, getting together like this, it kind of, you know, it solves uh, the problem, but it doesn't solve the whole entire problem. There are certain things about uh, human emotions that you can't really uh, 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 see it, you can't be in it uh, until you are in a physical context. So I think, I think that itself, maybe a VR can probably get closer to it, but still <laughs> will replace the physical uh, getting together, I would say. Yeah, like a VR handshake, you know, like it's still not a handshake. It's a little bit different. Yeah, um, because you know why? The hand handshake should weigh, right? Uh-huh, yeah. That should have a weight, right. So, so there's a study that I heard the other day, a guy was talking about in the, in the, uh, uh, after the World War II, the mm -hmm. man's handshake weight was, was 180 pounds, an average. 180 pounds. Because they were tough. Right, exactly. They, yeah, they were fighting in wars. They like below 80. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think the VR is like trying to get it to the world. It's like a 40 or something like that. Yeah. Um, no, I, I agree with you. I think that we have a need for love and connection. And I think that that need happens at events when you see your friends, you see, you know, the familiar faces, you get to hang out with them. It's, it's still cool to do it, you know, over, over the internet, but it's not the same. Uh, it's not the same as, you know, that physical connection. So I think that in the future that events will, um, you know, they'll morph, they'll change a little bit. I think we'll still have in-person events. Um, but I think that, like you said, technology will improve and, you know, virtual events will be a real thing, especially when you weigh and consider travel time, you know, flight delays, cost of attending, you know, there's a lot of pros and cons between both of them. Um, but I do think that the future is going to be a virtual reality type platform and not just, you know, a zoom screen and, you know, a, a little menu of things that you can do. I think, I think virtual events are, are definitely going to be a thing even after the pandemic. But I also think we have a kind of a hunger for that, you know, connection to, to be able to get together in person as well. Yeah. It's also, it's also behaviors, uh, Charles, you know, it takes, it takes a while to, to inherit or to change the behaviors. But I think once people, um, are all in with those new set of behaviors, um, then people will not go back to those old behaviors. And so we're starting to see that change uh, in a positive way. Um, and I think, I think if we're able to do that, we will become much more productive, much more efficient. And I think stuff like this can make us much more efficient. But on the other hand, you have people who used to work for the corporate, in the corporate world and they used to go to the office and they're used to with office politics. And now they bring office politics at home. And they're not so it becomes a productive environment. 
<laughs> what? Hey, Joe, what do you think? You're, you're a big sports guy. Uh, we were talking about this before too. Um, events, you know, events includes, include sports, right? Big gatherings of people. And uh, we've seen around the world, sports leagues have had to figure out how to do uh, uh, sports during COVID. And we've seen some be very innovative. We've seen some do some really cool stuff, I think, with technology, digital fans, you know, superimposed on the side of the courts and NBA, more cameras available. And then we've seen some, you know, Major League Baseball, they've got cardboard cutouts. Uh, I think in Korea for baseball, they put stuffed animals, uh, you know, in the crowd so that it wouldn't do that. Uh, what do you think? Uh, are sports going to always be different after this? And, and what do you think about the innovation, you know, that you've seen? Much like any other sort of thing that hits the market, whether it was 9-11 or anything that sort of shocks the market, there's always some residual protocols that stay, that stay around. And down the road, like I was on an airplane the other day, my son has no idea why TSA does it the way they do it. He wasn't around for 9-11. And I think in 15 or 20 years, there'll be some changes uh, for all things where large gatherings are because of this pandemic and not just because of this pandemic, but because I think it brings light on that we are a global population now. We're not just a bunch of isolationists anymore. I mean, even though a lot of people want to be, we're not, we're a global society. And as a result, pandemics and you know air travel, there are going to be future problems too. But so I tend to think with events, I agree 110% with both of you guys in that there will be, obviously there's nothing can take the place of interaction, interpersonal, you know, that touch, that feel, that smell, that will always be there. But in the future, I do believe, and Chuck, you've mentioned this many times in the past that, you know, a lot of the larger event companies, they're going to keep going, but everybody's going to be offering these virtual options now. And mm -hmm. uh, to, to, to pick up on you, did, Ippy, I, I also believe that is that a lot of the smaller companies, they're going to be not doing events. And as the technology comes in, it's easier to use those smaller companies. They're going to be using all virtual sort of events. As far as sports go, that is a conundrum uh, to me. At the end of the day, sports in general were born as a spectator yeah. event. Yeah. Uh, and all about the live. I mean, people tell me, we've heard all our lives, hey, if you don't like baseball, you need to go to a game. If you don't like hockey, just go to a game. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how are some sports are going to win new audiences now? Yeah. They relied on seeing somebody's face up against the glass teeth out, you know, that whole thing. Yeah. Um, so I do, I do know that technology will be involved on how we resolve this issue, but you have to think in the future, all these large expo centers and TD conventions, all these things you see around, it makes you wonder how uh, viable they will be in the future. How many companies are going to say, you know what, let's build a big exposition hall. Why? Wait a minute. You know, so yeah, sports is a yeah. conundrum. We need innovative business models. They're uh, more uh, a long term than a short term. Um, and definitely, I mean, the world is going through the whole transformation. Uh, you know, we are in the, in the information age. Information age is a whole um, exponential uh, growth in, in many ways. Um, we need to understand that also that, that the world that we left uh, of a dig and burn is no longer now it's all about circular what can we do with this glass after it's broken yeah. we don't destroy it right yeah so all these things we need to make sure that now we're going to be much more conscious about it and about the environment that we create for ourselves 
And I think this is going to be a great thing. We just have to go through this, through this grind because through this grind, you see um, there's a tension that's coming from all environments, from vested interests, people who invest in old businesses. Now they don't want to see that happen. So that's, that's tension. So until that is being fixed and now everybody's like focused and say, okay, well, this is what the future is. Then I think we're going to have a really great, uh, I, 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 I strongly believe, I strongly believe that the future economy will be a flow economy. That's my, that's my, that's my belief. And a flow economy that I look at it, like it is something that there's no wastage, almost very, very, very small wastage pretty much. Yeah. And that's why just connect all the dots. And I think with the advancement of the AI and everything else, if we use it in the right way, I, I'm talking about using the right way, I think we're going to have a, an abundance economy that's just going to keep flowing and everybody will be tuned in to. Mars will be our, 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 our just a little <laughs> island. We have a lot more out there. It's it, technology is coming so fast, and I love I love talking to you because uh, you have such a passion for it. You know, it's uh, it's great to have you on the show here and just be able to. You know, I feel like we could I feel like we could talk for a long time, but I know we've uh, we've got to go here soon. But man, this is uh, this is fascinating stuff, and it's it's great to have you here. Yeah, thanks thanks for having me, uh, Charles. Well, everybody, um, unfortunately, we do have to go. But before we do, first, Epi, uh, let people know where they can uh, get a hold of you, um, where they can find out about the Bold Awards. Um, you know, just a good time for a little shout out right here uh, so people can get a hold of you. Yeah, great. Well, you can find out all the information on crowdsourcingweek.com. Uh, and also, if you're going to go directly to Bold Awards, you can go to bold-awards.com. You have all the information. And for anyone who wants to email me, you can all find me and uh, you can just Google my name, Epi Goodwin, you'll find my email, you'll find everything there. So I'm, I'm very open guy, very simple life. And uh, yeah. That's, that's, that's awesome, man. I love it. I can't wait till I can actually see you in person. Uh, yeah. You know, we're talking about this. We're going to meet up at one of these events or in DC or, you know, something like that. Um, but no, it's, it's really been great to have you here. Uh, Joe, you got any closing thoughts or anything? Uh, one quick question. I wanted you to really give us one example of the boldest AI winner. Give me an example of who was that. Well, um, yeah, you put me in a spot right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, boldest, that's that's a great word. Well, the, the boldest that is not it was not part of a bolder word, right? So maybe um, um, I'm thinking here an AI uh, boldest. Hmm, that's an interesting um, I need to think about it. I, I don't have it on top of my head. Did you, um, did, did but, you see that robot uh, uh, made by Hanson Robotics? Uh, what is that, Sophia? Um, the first robot that has artificial intelligence. Uh, have you have you seen about that? She's been at a couple events that I was, and they even gave her, I think they gave her legs or something like that, but she is completely artificial intelligence. That kind of That kind of blew me away when I saw that. Sophia, isn't that her name? I think so, yeah. Yeah. She's capable of learning, acclimating, answering questions, evolving as you speak to her. It's pretty yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. inspiring reading, yet alarming. I'm reading this book. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys read this book before. Uh -uh. Uh, it's the uh, AI Superpower, China, Silicon Valley, and the New World Order. Um, it's it, it really fascinating because if you, we think that the world has seen a, a true AI, Way yeah. where we go to China, 
and so uh, and this is what this book is about talks about the whole uh, a whole new class of the AI entrepreneurs and AI startups that are just incredibly amazing what they're doing out there with innovation um, and so uh, we always used to like think on a Western terms in terms of all these all these companies but uh, China has some really some serious AI companies and I'm, I'm, I'm on my halfway so I still have not come to the to the true so I'll come back with an answer to yeah I'll come back and let us know too <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I think there was a Twitter account that they uh, that they made artificial intelligence. Maybe it was like Dell, or it was one of those that had like this artificial intelligence powered uh, Twitter account, and they just let it go. And a couple days later, like they had to shut it down because it was spouting all this racist stuff, and it had just completely <laughs> jumped the shark. Yeah, we covered it. It was a couple wow. of years ago, and it just had, it had gone bad. You know, it was uh, <laughs> it was good AI gone bad. So you know, we'll we'll see That's what's a story going on right there. Yeah. Good AI gone bad. <laughs> well, anyways, it was super. It was super awesome to have you here. I'll see you again soon, everybody that's listening. Remember to check out Crowdsourcing Week uh, and the Bold Awards. And again, uh, if you enjoyed this episode of Innovation Tech Talks, go ahead and make sure that you subscribe uh, and share with your friends. And don't forget to follow the conversation on social media at InnoTech Today across all of your different platforms. Here, today's guest, Epi Ludvik, you are the man. Thank you for joining us so early over there. It is always a pleasure, and you are welcome back anytime, sir. It's, it's great to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation. So looking forward to the next one. Awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. Again, you've been chopping it up with Chuck and Joe on another episode of Innovation Tech Talks. We'll catch you next time. Take care. <laughs>